Yo, what's up? This is DJ Yellow from the world's most dangerous group. What's up? This is DLC, the Diggy Diggy motherfucking doc. Yo, 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 what's up? This is your boy, Lee Murray. What up, dog? This is Eshaw. This is Jerry Heller, motherfucker. This your boy, DJ Paul KOL from 360 Young Busy Ball. Vice World. This your man, Matt Smine, the hell raise up. Yo, this is DJ Ready Red. What up, what up, what up? This is the real Rick Ross, and you're listening to me on the Murder Master Music Show. Graphics. 
you, you obviously had a natural talent and a gift for it. Um, when did you realize that this was something that you wanted to do, uh, you know, as a career? Uh, it kind of happened just part accident and part kind of wanting to do it. Uh, like I said, my dad had a connection with Johnny Phillips at Select the Hits and ended up getting me on around, I think it was 96 when I started. So it's kind of like one of those things where they started doing more and more artwork internally or wanted to because they were having to pay to outsource it, you know, like just some of the local people to do graphic design. And if you remember, graphic design was kind of pretty different back in the early 90s because, you know, most people didn't have a computer. The Internet wasn't really a thing. So it was kind of like before the technology really started popping. So it's just kind of like all just you know, like how most life is, just kind of organically happened. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, your dad, he played an intricate role in getting you started. Um, you know what I'm saying? Uh, di- didn't he do um, Mystic Styles 3-6 Mafia album cover? Yeah, and uh, he worked for a place called CMYK Printing that was just a local print shop, and they could, like, output film because every time you did anything on the computer, you know, you had to generate film to go to the, you know, pressing plant to press up the copies. So they were doing Mystic Styles and some of the other blues albums at the time. And he ended up, he mainly worked on the picture. I think they gave Johnny a picture, I think, originally. And it was kind of like low res, a lot of this stuff. We had to scan in all the photography back in that day. So he was just trying to make it look neat, so he added like a little cartoon posterized effect to it because they took it down, I think, down by the river at night. So he was just trying to make it look a little neater, and I think another lady there at CMYK did the uh, typeset. But, like, I started seeing all that because I think it was around, was it 93, if I remember? But I was in, like, pretty much still in high school, so he would bring stuff home, and I would see little things he was working on, and kind of back and forth, so it was kind of, a, I guess, introductory to the, the whole process and how things started to work. Yeah, yeah, it kind of got you, um, you know what I'm saying, on your feet with it all. Do you remember the first cover you did for Selecto Hits? Uh, I don't remember the first, first one. I know uh, I had to kind of backtrack. <laughs> it's been a while. Since I started in 96, I know uh, – Tommy Wright was really early on, the on the run, the skinny pimp, you know, skinny but dangerous. That was one of the first few. I think Young Low and uh, DJ Squeaky, and of course Young Seven Players was probably. Oh yeah, and looking back, it's just crazy how all those were kind of lumped in around '96, '97. And I mean, I was basically starting out, so I mean, I was making this stuff up as I went along because I definitely didn't have any formal training and was, you know, kind of just dabbling and trying to figure out how to, how to do different effects and how the print process worked and, you know, just learning the technology basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right out the gate. Crazy I mean, to think about. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Cause right out the gate, you were doing uh, uh, albums that are considered underground classics to this day, like the squeaky, the Tommy Wright, um, even the Young Southern Players compilations that Selecto Hits put out, those things were moving pretty good units. Um, 
Now, what about uh, Gangster Pat? You've done some uh, covers for him over the years. His father, uh, you know, legendary musician with Stax Records, Deep Memphis Roots. Yep. What what was it like working with him? How, how would you describe Pat? Oh, Pat was always super cool to work with, real friendly, you know, just, you know, after a while you kind of just kind of become friends with a few of the people. There's a few artists that would come through Select Hits regularly, and they would have albums like once a year, you know, about once a year. Or they would come through, you know, just updating posters and doing stuff. So we became pretty good friends, you know, back in the day with a lot of the original guys that would come through. Some people we – you would deal with on the phone. Some people, technically, I never met in person. And sometimes, you know, like a label would bring somebody or an album, but you'd never deal with the artist. Like Three Six was kind of like that with, you know, like Little White and a few people early on. Like I just dealt more with, you know, Juicy or Paul, you know, when they were releasing that stuff versus the artist directly. Yeah. So it's kind of different every yeah. time. Yeah, because Juicy and Paul, they were doing a lot of their uh, solo stuff or their their early stuff before they got the deal um, through you guys, like the Triple uh, yeah. Six Mafia. Um, that originally was going to be a Six 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 Mafia, right? Yeah, we originally. I think the way it happened when I first started, Three Six was uh, pretty much just getting signed to Relativity or around the same time. So whatever deal they had, they had some like old unreleased music they wanted to release to us, but they didn't want to, they couldn't use their name and they didn't want it to look like a three, six mafia album because of the, you know, whatever deal they signed. So they needed to come up with another name. So they were just going to call it six, six, six mafia just because, you know, three, six. And then we started to press it up and then we started getting some feedback or, you know, complaints from the pressing plant, like that they were just, having trouble pressing it because 666, which I understand. So we just ended up, you know, ended up calling it triple six, which that's kind of what they went by some anyway. So it just kind of, but we did press up a few that actually had the 666 Mafia, but we, I think all that got scrapped. I kind of hate we don't have samples of it just because it was uh, (laughs) one of those rare things that never really hit the market. Yeah. Yeah. That would be something right now. It'd be worth a lot of money. Um, oh yeah, you know, but most of most of the album covers you've done. Um, I mean, if you were to see the the prices that these go for on eBay, it's just uh, amazing. You know, um, a lot of that stuff that came through Selecto hits. Now you spent um, yeah. a a good amount of time there. You know, um, how long were you there? You you were there at least twenty something years or, or more. No. Yeah, it was uh, 96 to, uh, I guess, 2017 when I left. I think that's right. Wow. It's kind of been crazy the last few years. But, yeah, it's like I, I was there for a while and, like I said, saw a lot of great artists. And, you know, it was a great experience, a great family to work for, the Phillips family. So it was – plus, just like I said, coming out of high school and not going to college or any kind of training, you know, it was kind of like – you just kind of learned on the fly, and you know it was a good experience to do that stuff. Yeah, and get into video, absolutely. and you know learn more about graphics, and you know just learn how life kind of works. 
yeah. the music industry. When you look back um, at the covers you've done, I mean, you've done countless amounts of covers. Uh, is there any one that stands out as, as a real complicated cover, like something that um, was very difficult to do? Yeah, it, I guess at different times that kind of answer would change because early on, like when I would do anything that was kind of close to, you know, anything else that we were trying to copy, especially when pen and pixel was kind of in the scene, you know, you kind of like look at their stuff and you're just amazed, like how do they do this stuff? And then you get artists coming in and ask you to do something similar and you're like, I don't know how to do that. So you just kind of figure out a way or make something work. You know, you just constantly kind of like problem solving. So, you know, at different times I would just be happy at a cover because it turned out, it's almost like when you can't, don't know how to do something and then you end up figuring it out, you're, you like it because you figured it out or because it looks more impressive than the stuff you did in the past. So that's kind of like, I, people always ask like, what's your favorite cover? And it's like, I don't really have a, a definite answer because it would always change or I would like it for a different reason. You know, it was, it was always fun to do something like with a big, big artist. Cause you're like, you know, the name alone, you're just like happy that you got to be involved. Like, you know, like a three, six or, you know, Jelly Roll down the road or just Little White or just somebody who was, you know, actually selling units because that means people would get to see your artwork, which was always fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I reviewed a lot of uh, the albums um, in the Murder Dogs, so I know they saw your artwork there. Um, of course, that was back before, uh, you know, the Internet was really popping and, and we were actually moving magazines you know, that was another thing. Everything was physical, and now it's all digital. Um, yep. How did you feel when, when the, uh, that kind of crossed over and changed from uh, physical copies to digital? Uh, I guess it's kind of like everybody probably felt the same way. It was kind of like bittersweet in a lot of ways because it's like you kind of miss some of the old stuff, but it was more yeah. convenient, you know, but – I, early on, we did recognize that it uh, hurt sales compared because you have to think back in the day when things were really selling. I mean, anybody would sell, like even like a no-name artist could sell five thousand physical copies, yeah. and that's unheard of today. You know, most people are lucky to, you know, sell just to the local, you know, like a hundred on a local show over the course of a year. But, I mean, people are actually doing some serious units. And, you know, record stores, like compilations would sell all over the place. Like, I remember there was a time you just kind of, like, started laughing because it seemed like everything was a compilation. Every CD that came out had, like, 50 artists on it. And, you know, record stores would have the price point at almost $30. You know, it was just like people were making money hand over fist. And, you know, as soon as digital started happening – you know, all that started going away quick. Yeah, yeah. And and if you, if you notice, too, um, well, I, I used to do, like, artist bios and, and stuff like that. And um, then they started having these sites like Fiverr or, or the artists just started doing it themselves. And I noticed that a lot with graphic arts, too. A lot of people just downloaded some app or some program and rather than go to somebody like you or, or Sean at Pen and Pixel, they just do mm-hmm. it on an app. And that really hurt the game too. You know? Oh yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I remember when uh, it took forever for even digital cameras to be decent enough to, you know, be able to shoot like a five by five inch, you know, picture that looked good quality. Because before then, we had to scan everything, like I said, and, you know, like we scanned really bad pictures because, I mean, a lot of people brought in Polaroids back then. So when you scan a Polaroid and then make a poster out of it, I mean, that's really bad quality, but it's like you just kind of had to work with what you had. So just nowadays when someone can just take their phone and, you know, take a picture, like a 5-meg picture was a massive, massive file in the mid-'90s. You know, like even saving it, like I've had to throw away a lot of old artwork not all of it, but just like the the extra files that I'd used to like build the whole project because we didn't have room to save it on our hard drives. Because, you know, like yeah. back then you had floppy disk and there's something called SciQuest disk and zip drives, which I think everybody remembers. You know, zip yeah. drives were those like 100 meg cartridges you could buy. But, I mean, you think about 100 meg is nothing, you know, for like, compared to like what you can do now. So it's just technology's come a long way and it definitely makes it a lot easier for people to not need like a specialist, I guess, to, you know, you can record an album and do artwork on your cell phone nowadays. So, you know, not saying it's easy, but you could do it. Yeah. It's a, it's a whole different game. I mean, music wise too. I mean, same thing with producers. You can download apps and make your own beats or a lot of times these guys just, just buy download beats real cheap. You know, um, everything is, is evolving some ways for the better, but many ways I, I think it's 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 just really uh, getting watered down. I really, I think the quality and, and, and everything um, was better back in those days, 90s, early 2000s, and then it just started to fizzle out. Um, yeah, and you kind of start feeling... Seeing it all. You know, like the... You've been through all Yeah, yeah, phases. you kind of start... You start feeling like you're, you know, like how you, when old people start saying, back in my day, it's like you kind of start thinking, well, yeah, back in my day with music, it's like people people were more invested in it because, you know, everything wasn't instant. So if you bought an album, you know, you were out $20 and you didn't know what it listen, you know, what it was on it, so you had to listen to it. And, you know, people kind of were a little more invested in their purchases and, you know, kind of, I guess, stuff – felt just a little more organic than it does now because you can just listen to something, skip it real quick, just listen to the hits, you know, don't even have to pay for it. Just go on YouTube and hear any song you want technically. So it's definitely a whole nother, you know, animal nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, we're going to, uh, we're going to turn over the, uh, the line here to DJ Lord Sinexta over in France. I know he's got, uh, some questions for you, Blake. Um, Sin, are you there, brother? Yes, yes. Uh, hi, Scott. Hi, uh, Hi, Blake. Um, yeah, it's a real honor to, to have you on the show because uh, you paved the way for a lot of artists, and uh, especially in Memphis. And yourself, uh, you're an artist because um, you're doing uh, some blues and a guitar, and you you put some some music into hip hop artists too. Uh, who's your influence as uh, guitarist, blues, or or, or the blues uh, worldwide? Oh, just uh, who are my kind of like guitar influences? 
Um, I, yeah, pretty much, you know, kind of growing up in the end of the 80s, 90s, there was always, like, you know, heavy metal, rock, and, you know, blues I was always into. So, I mean, like, Guns N' Roses, Skid Row, Metallica, Pink Floyd early on was big influences. And then I got into, you know, like, Jimi Hendrix, Eric Clapton, that kind of stuff. But, like, growing up in the 90s, you know, MTV was so huge that, you know, it was just kind of like a melting pot. You would just hear all kind of music that you weren't really – necessarily into at the time but you heard it enough and you kind of were exposed to it and you know you just kind of I don't know I just I like a lot of different kinds like rap you know back in the day like Ice-T and Body Count were real big at one time like you know Raging Against the Machine later on so I just kind of you know just take bits and pieces I like in different genres so I kind of have a extensive list of stuff I like that kind of influenced my playing through the years yeah, and some guys like Willie Hodge and uh, Bobby Womack, or uh, some type of stuff, also influenced you. What was about rock? Uh, say, wait, say that again. Oh, uh, uh, some some guys like Willie Hodge, Hutchinson, or Bobby Womack, it it was an influence for you too. Oh yeah, I, I remember hearing a lot of his stuff. Um, I there's certain people I just you know you like what they do but you don't actually try to like learn licks or learn songs and you know sometimes I'll just be lazy and you just like something but you never sit down and try to really learn it but yeah it's like all that stuff really you know influences you you know kind of like as you go along and especially when you grow as a musician or try to you sometimes open up different doors that you wouldn't when you're 16 yeah one of my favorites early on was Billy Gibbons um Oh yeah, top, just a a beast. Yeah, great blues player. Yeah, he was definitely in for Yeah. Also, second, it's legendary because uh, it started with uh, some studio who distributed, in fact, Kennedy uh, Williams um, and Elvis, and it came after Superstar Six Mafia. So. It's a whole generation since uh, 1960, so it's crazy to to come from Elvis to Physics Mafia. It's it's more success, in fact. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like the you know the Phillips family has been in music forever, and it's like the you know the son side of it was you know a different side of the family, but they're still Phillips, and it's like you yeah. know the Elvis and Jerry Lee Lewis and all that, and you know, but what's funny, if you think about it, all that's, like Elvis and all that was underground at the time. And then, you know, when you get into rap, rap was underground for a long time. And that's kind of when we, like, were doing all this stuff. All this stuff was underground and there wasn't any mainstream. There was mainstream rap, but there wasn't the gangster rap mainstream. You know, it was a whole different thing. And, you know, that's just kind of how music always does is, you know, like in the 80s when everybody loved heavy metal, you know, grunge was coming up as far as like underground and then it broke loose and heavy metal did that before. So it just, everything kind of runs in cycles and people get tired of what's happening and there's always something underground that it's kind of brewing that finally pops up. And, you know, luckily we were just a part of it, which, you know, and it lasted for, you know, a pretty, pretty long run. You know, it's still going pretty strong, but it's just music in general, the sales and stuff are down. 
as far as just you know the yeah. just the way the industry is, but it's still alive and kicking. Yeah, what I mean, in fact, is it was uh, Elvis was very underground at the time, and his first studio who got in front, and Elvis uh, was always underground at the time, and you put you put it in front and that's a wide. That's a very <laughs> in fact. Um, and uh, you, you grew up in in Memphis also. Uh, how how it was to grow up there? Yeah, I've I've been in Memphis pretty much my whole life. I think uh, when I was in kindergarten or first grade, we moved around because my dad's job back in the day. But, you know, after that, we pretty much moved to Raleigh, and we stayed in Raleigh uh, pretty much for, I don't know, until I was, I think it was 93 when, when I was closer to graduating, we moved out to the Cordova area. But pretty much been in Memphis, yeah, my whole life. So that's definitely, you know, some influence on just the culture and just the local uh, local music scene. Yeah. I was going to tell us about the, the pretty cover of Cookie Tanaker, the Devil's Playground in uh, 1999. How did you get the, the IG of the, the clones woman and we see a gas over here and a travel center. And, and did you ever know uh, this one? Is that by Finnish or something? Uh, yeah, the uh, the Coopsed album, what, Devil's Playground, that was, uh, that was one of those cases where I think I dealt directly with Juicy with it. You know, Juicy J came in and was... P- since it was on their label, I didn't meet Coop until later. I can't even remember. It may have been a few years later, but uh, Juicy came in with the idea, and basically he brought a travel magazine that had that – it had the – I guess there was a spread, like, from a Renaissance fair somewhere, which is funny kind of looking back. So we – you know, he said he wanted the the carousel in it, and he wanted to throw some of the pictures of the – the lady with the white hair. So that was his, you know, all that credit kind of goes to him. He just kind of had the rough idea. So I went in and just, you know, based on that, just kind of came up with a cover design and he liked it. And that was kind of, kind of how a lot of that stuff went. Like sometimes people would give you ideas and sometimes, you know, they just come up with something and you don't really have a lot to work with. But this one actually kind of had more of a, you know, direction, which was kind of, kind of nice. Um, the true cover of uh, Trouble Six Mafia was called uh, Six 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 Mafia, Volume One and Two. Uh, we can see on, on the on the two and one uh, a stone with a light uh, on the back cover. Uh, how do you get the idea of this? It was a RNG, RNGC idea, or it was your idea behind it? Um, it's kind of what I was saying before. Um... When they originally called it, you know, six 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 mafia, and then we changed it. Like when I was designing these, we right. couldn't use pictures of them because, you know, they didn't want it to look like a three six mafia album because of the deal they signed, the major label deal. So we pretty much just kind of had to come up with something. And 
this will probably be my answer on a few albums, but it's a lot of times we just had to make something work. So like when you needed a background image, we don't have like kind of like the luxury we have today of digital cameras being able to take a quick picture or getting a high res image from online or one of those, you know, photography sites that you could just buy photography from. So, you know, you just had to look for something that was kind of neat, something that wasn't, you know, like a tourist looking picture or something that was too generic. And, you know, I just, I think we had a disc that had uh, some pictures on it we had bought. And I think that was one of the ones that we ended up with just trying to find something that looked interesting. So doing that, the little stone thing that kind of looked mystic and then, you know, doing like the, the bubble effect that kind of looked like an orb, which I think I used on a few covers just because that was a special effect that, you know, that lightning and fire was some of my early go-tos just because when you're just trying to think of something that's special effects, you know, I only had knew, knew how to do so much, so I just had to kind of reinvent the wheel a few times. <laughs> yeah, and so Bubba and I.G. was a dangerous, <laughs> like a UFO. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, can you tell us about uh, the kind of times of cover? You, you collaborate for this one with Sean Brock of Pixel Graphics, and also uh, for Prophet Passy Body Parts. Uh, for these two, you work here with uh, with Sean. Can you tell us about this collaboration and the cover themselves? Yeah, this is a good example of we did a few of these throughout the years, and you know, you call it collaboration, and it, it is, but it's one of those that we work together, kind of like after the fact. Uh, people would bring us covers sometimes from Pen and Pixel, and sometimes they did, or sometimes from you know other companies, and they liked the cover, they already paid for it, and then they just needed us to do the layout. And that's kind of what happened with uh, the Kamikaze and body parts is, you know, Pen and Pixel did the cover, which they always did awesome stuff. And, you know, it was just up to us to kind of finish it up. So I just tried to match the style and come up with other ideas. Uh, one of the funny things in the body part uh, CD layout, me and a friend – uh, that used to work at Select Hits and helped with graphics occasionally. And that guy named Brandon Butler, he uh, we scanned our fingers on the, the digital scanner and cut them out just to like, you know, body parts. I mean, it's a little on the nose, but at the time we were just trying to fill up stuff, just having some kind of texture or something kind of in the background of the inside layout. So it's like my finger and his fingers are <laughs> in the in the liner notes, just uh, trying to fill up space and come up with something to, you know, help fill out the artwork, which is kind yeah. of funny looking back at it. You, you did a lot of uh, underground release, and uh, I think about uh, Dub Smoke, Dutch Demon's cover, it was from Memphis to uh, you remember this one also. Time. Yeah, that one we did everything on. It was uh, I don't remember too much about that one because there's a a lot of these albums they happen so quick. You know, once you kind of yeah. do the covers and you know, I think on that one the mask because there's a few yeah. pictures of mask and smoke and stuff all around it. There were so exactly. many rappers on that project. Yeah, I think there was uh, there's 
I don't know, 20 rappers or something that were actually on the full thing. So we we didn't want a big group picture with 20 people on it. So we kind of came up with the idea. What did you say? Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, there's too many people. So we basically came up with that idea. I just can't remember if we – if they gave us a picture with them with mask or I found something maybe, maybe online because around 98 to 2000, and that's kind of when internet was starting to be a thing. So we may have bought a photography, like a stock picture that had mask and I did some Photoshop to try to make it just look neater than just what it was. But that was the the basic idea from what I remember of it. Yeah, and you did also all the the first Kamakazi I see was those covers like from Asura uh, Sausar, MC Mac, Katsura Maxar, Amshar, Don't to Be Mad. It was good to to cover with them too, um, and they were on the ground at times they, they go up to tell us about Kamakazi I see also to work with them. Yeah, we uh, we did a whole lot of covers for Scan Man and Mac with Kamikaze, you know, after they were with 3-6. And uh, around the time, I guess, Thugs from the South Side, Johnny Phillips' son, Jeff Phillips, started doing some graphics, too, for a few years. That's why you'll see his name on some liner notes. And he actually did a lot of the Thugs from the South Side and M. Child. I think I helped on some mm-hmm. of it. Because, you know, there was a process early on when he was kind of like learning how to do some of the things. But he did a lot of uh, a lot of those covers. But as far as the Kamikaze albums and the MC Mac and Scan Man, I did all those. But it was always fun working with those guys because they would always come up with, you know, there's certain covers that would be more, you know, more like a bigger scale. Like, you know, they wanted more fire, more... You know, they'd give you more direction where they wanted something that wasn't just like plain like a lot of other album covers. So a lot of their covers took a lot more time to do and more and more, I guess, you know, they were more pen and pixel style than, you know, than some of the the later ones that we ended up doing. But they, those were always fun to do just because they were challenging, you know, with the yeah, special effects. Yeah, I think thinking about uh, MC Mac and Scanline, uh, a lot of advert advertising of sectors, uh were a lot into Murder Door magazine because this magazine supported a lot of Memphis hip hop. And uh, Evan Scott's press got the show now. He really he, um, he reviewed Tuxla Salsar and Emshal. So uh, it was both of them to to hold his scholars. Yeah, Murder Dog was always one of the main magazines, you know, that we advertised in, and the artists usually wanted that. I mean, everybody wanted the source because it was a bigger magazine in a way, but, you know, as far as just the local Memphis scene, like Murder Dog was more in the price range and had just as much exposure, if probably not more in areas because that's what everybody kind of leaned toward. It felt like locally sometimes. So, And you got more Memphis exposure because, you know, they were slightly smaller than the source for sure. But it, uh, the day we definitely advertised a lot of 
Kamikaze and 3-6 from what I remember in the Murder Dog for sure. Um, can you tell us also about the guitar solo you did for Toba Dutur on the unturned out song for his compilation 2001, uh, Behind the Scouts Doors? So you did a direct collaboration with Tom Wright as a, as a musician. Can I tell us about this one, the, the collaboration with Tom Wright? Yeah, with Tommy, it was like I think we had talked about, like, you know, he knew I kind of played guitar some, and, you know, we just. With a few artists, you know, we'd always, I'd always bring something up. It's like, yeah, if you ever want any guitar or something, I'll play on it. Just because it was just fun to get in the studio and, you know, play on stuff. So with uh, him, you know, we did that Behind Closed Doors song and, you know, went to the studio and kind of just knocked it out in a few hours. And, you know, I think it turned out pretty good for, you know, the time we spent on it. It's like, I'd all, I think I also worked with, uh, Al Capone on a few songs that uh, Memphis to the Bombed Out Bay, I Ain't a Killer, and Going All Out. I think it's one song called Innocent. And, you know, through the years I've done stuff for like, you know, we played on Little White's albums and the Little White and Jelly Roll album. And I'm trying to think, Gangsta Boo and La Chat, the Witch album. And I did a kind of help write a album and I you know played on a few songs for a guy named Sonny Bama out of Alabama that you know turned out real nice so yeah just periodically I you know was lucky enough to get to work with some artists through the years and occasionally I still do things just not as much as I used to lately yeah and with DJ Palazzo you don't have some work with them it was more the artist when they go after Tracy um, wait, wait, say that again. Um, I mean, did you work at some time with uh, Paul and Juicy? Oh, it was more the artist you worked with. Oh, you're talking about for artwork? Or I don't for... know, as a as, as musician. Yeah. yeah, with uh, Paul and Juicy, you know, we would go through phases of stuff. You know, I never got to like play guitar or anything on any of their stuff, but as far as the artwork, um, we basically, you know, a lot of times it just kind of changed throughout, like when I first started at Select Hits and later on, you know, they kind of went, they would release a lot with Select Hits and then, you know, sometimes it felt like a year or two would go by and then they wouldn't have any projects or they would release an artist only, you know, like toward the end of Select Hits, like, you know, I did stuff for Juicy J, like, Hustle Till I Die, DJ Paul, we did the Person of Interest in Volume 16, the re-release, and like their reunion stuff, the the Mafia Six, Six Commandments, and and Watch What You Wish, you know, so I was able to do more recent stuff, so it just kind of, you know, they would use different people, like they use that guy, Computer, who did a lot of graphics for like... uh, I think right after, I remember right, it was Volume 2 of Triple Six Mafia. Like, I did Volume 2, and then Computer did Volume 3, and a handful of albums after that. But we ended up pressing it, so, you know, we were involved. Kings of Monkeys. 
yep. plus MC. Right. Yep. So we helped with that album as far as like pressing it and, you know, doing some stuff on the artwork, but we didn't do the cover or the, you know, the main part of the art. Right. right. And you did also for a male producer in Memphis and for DJ's Squeaky. You did uh, In the Beginning and the Memphis City and with the Pyramid, Pyramid Arena, and you did uh, on a mission to tell us about uh, the artwork with Squeaky. Uh, in the beginning and uh, on a mission. Yeah, we definitely worked a lot with Squeaky, um, especially in the very early days. What's funny on the on a mission, it kind of goes back to like us having limited pictures. You know, the city on on a mission in Memphis, it's like we yeah. got it from a picture disc, and you know, I forget what city it is, but you know, you just kind of have to work with what you <laughs> what you have. But yeah. the uh, in the beginning is definitely Memphis because, you know, by then, right. like that was years later, you know, we were able to get better pictures and, you know, definitely use pi- the pictures because that's pyramid in it and stuff and just try to make it look ap- apocalyptic into the end of days. <laughs> yeah, and the city of Memphis is very recognizable into colors because which is a uh, the pyramid, I went mean, uh, <laughs> So it was unique. Yep. <laughs> oh yeah, it was it, definitely a big part of our our city skyline, the old pyramid. Right. You did also uh, tell boys that are made in uh, 1999 was a dope artwork. Tell us about this one. Uh, which one on Taylor Boys? The uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The first Taylor Boys we did, which I guess was closer to 96, right. uh, you know, they had, they, they originally wanted them on a scale, you know, like they were cooking up, you know, rocks. But they wanted to be, you know, just kind of like a play on, you know, not words, but just instead of the dope, they were the dope instead of, you know, actual dope. So, you know, they want, they got scales and they took pictures at a certain angle. And, you know, we kind of just had a real idea of what we were trying to do. And I liked that one really a lot when it first came out just because it was, you know, a little more special effect oriented and trying to come up with something different. I think Taylor made was, more just using pictures, kind of like, like I said, you'll probably hear this a lot, but we just kind of had to make do with, like, trying to find background images. Because most people would give you pictures, and they want you to cut them out, but they don't really have an idea of what they wanted. So you just, with limited pictures, you're just trying to come up with something that looks interesting. And I think that they had birds in that one, and I can't remember. I think they probably told me they wanted some kind of, whatever kind of bird that we put on the front. So that's usually how that kind of works. Yep. Yeah. And talk to us about uh, I don't know tell me what production it was it was good though. So this one was uh, a little crazy too uh, and uh can you tell us about this one. 
I didn't hear. Sorry. What was the? Oh. The artist. I mentioned somebody coming. I mentioned somebody coming. I just got that. With about Tommy Wright. Oh, the uh, Manson family guys. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh. Tommy always had you know ideas when he'd bring me stuff, and it was always you know great to work with as far as you know just concept and like. He always had a lot of detail and stuff he wanted. Like he was one of the most detailed artists as far as just you know wanting something a certain way. So a lot of it was you know him bringing me something, saying, you know I want these people on the cover, or I want this, and you know just trying to find a way to make it work or just kind of working out problems, which usually was the biggest thing. You know sometimes like with group pictures, it's always complicated to. You know, if you just take a group picture, it's always didn't look as good as you taking the single pictures of people and then cutting them out individually, and then you know making a collage out of them. But then it's hard to make them look like they're really there. So that was always challenging doing the group shots like that. And Manson, I remember, was like that because obviously, like all those were cut out on the front and you know merged together to try to make it look like a group standing like under a overpass or train or they're on train tracks from what I remember. Yeah. Like I said, it was rare if they actually took a picture that they were all together in, you know, a certain place. And you did also uh, two another collaboration with, uh, with Sean Brock of Van Pexel. You did the lion for these two. It was kind of E and Alebron Sam uh, and James, we trust uh, who you trust. Uh, I know about uh, Scott season, uh, loves his album too. <laughs> and, and it yeah. also destined Bound to Hustle. Can you tell us about these two for the Lion? Um, yeah, it's kind of a little bit of the same story. Um, you know, artists would the, either label or the artists themselves when they uh, would sign a deal or, you know, an agreement with Select-A-Hits, most of them were like P&Ds, which just mean pressing and distribution. And when they usually do that, then, you know, we would either do the artwork and charge them back, or, you know, they would get other people to do the cover or the full layout and bring it to us to press. So those were two projects that, you know, the covers were done, they brought them to us, and we just filled out the rest of the artwork and, you know, got it ready for press and probably did some posters and some other design. But as far as, you know, working with, uh, I guess there wasn't any, usually with that kind of setup, there's never just direct correlation back with pen and pixel or the original artists, but unless we need something from them, because especially back in the day, you know, really back then there wouldn't even email, you know, they would just actually have to send a physical disc because, you know, you couldn't email stuff like that. So there wasn't as much uh, back and forth with us in Pen and Pixel because we weren't really the client. It was always, you know, the artist was the one. Once they got it like that, they just paid for the cover and or the layout and sent it to us. But, you know, Pen and Pixel was always, you know, we always looked at their stuff and, like I said, was always amazed at, you know, the stuff they did because I think they were the first had, like, a digital camera and always heard rumors that they had like a live, you know, like a real skeleton that they could pose and do different things with that was, 
you know, beyond our capabilities, <laughs> you know, but they, for all that chopped and screwed and stuff that came out of Dallas, you know, they were just kings of some of those kind of special effects that were just top-notch back in the day. Uh, you also uh uh drama for uh, 2003 and uh with the uh, what was uh, the mountain on the cover <laughs> you put on yeah I, I think al capone released i forget how many i know there's at least three there's probably could be five <laughs> i forgot of uh, the memphis drama yeah. drama albums just cuz they were compilations um it kind of goes back to compilations a lot of times you know, artists didn't want to be on the front and they didn't want to have, you know, a million people on the front. So we just kind of came up with uh, some different different ideas and that was just one of them that, you know, I think we had the green card and we just needed something to match. Even though, you know, looking back, it's kind of funny. Sometimes I look back at some of the backgrounds we picked and they don't really fit, you know, Memphis or what Memphis, kind of like the DJ Squeaky thing. But you just ended up kind of using what you just kind of had to because, you know, you just needed either the angle needed to be a certain way, so you just had to kind of use a picture. Or sometimes, like, I know with the Memphis of the Bombed Out Bay with Al Capone, it was a compilation too. So, you know, we kind of merged Memphis with the other city and, you know, the two bridges and just kind of, you know, made, you know, the – the scenery fit, I guess, as much as you can. So a lot of a lot of that wasn't. There's not a lot of thought behind it. It's more just visually, like if it kind of looked neat, or at the time, just you know, <laughs> just something to you know go to the next level, I guess. And, and you did also two underground manifest uh, release was Riverside Click. Eruption and uh, also Psycho and the Charge Partners can tell us about this one too. Psycho is a, a, um, a pioneer in Memphis too. Yeah, the the Riverside Click, I think they came up with the idea they wanted uh, kind of probably similar to the idea of like the DJ Squeaky thing I came up with with the kind of like a pop apocalyptic uh, volcano erupting downtown, but it's like they wanted the Memphis you know, Memphis skyline, but they also, they wanted to be sliding down the, you know, the actual pyramid. So we got them to take pictures of the pyramid. And from what I remember, I think because you couldn't show the skyline too far in the distance because then you couldn't see the people sliding down it. So we ended up kind of zooming in to just the pyramid and trying to make it look like, you know, it was uh, erupting with lava and, you know, that kind of theme and just, you know, had them like take pictures of them in different action poses that look like they're sliding or something. So that one was a fun one to put together just because it was, you know, complicated and just trying to make it look, you know, semi-realistic for its time, you know, special effect wise. One uh, special artwork was amazed me was uh, SP Fishbone uh, Bay at uh, scattered places, and uh, you can see, you you see a pyramid and the two letters SP. Uh, it, 
cazzo a fare un cazzo yeah. you, you fare un cazzo a fare un cazzo a fare un cazzo Yeah, I remember, uh, I guess, looking at the cover recently. It's like some of that stuff, you know, with logos and people wanting to put stuff on buildings, that was always something you either kind of did just to kind of show their label off or, you know, they just wanted you to do it because there's some meaning for them. So a lot of stuff, little hidden stuff throughout album covers is always something I think every designer kind of does or, you know, just uh, – try to, you know, make it different or just a re- it's a request from the artist. That's usually how that kind of stuff pops up. Yeah. And the one was uh, the one week was after party in 2000 with a crazy effect to, uh, in Memphis. Yep. It's like the... Uh, that one... There's that one's one I don't remember. I think it was the Grand Reaper the after party. You know, what? there's so many albums that. Yeah, I think there's so many albums that just kind of popped up in different areas because we we got really busy sometimes, and you know, just the amount of stuff that we ended up popping out. You know, looking back, you're just like, man, we put out a lot of albums in a short amount of time, and even even if we weren't fully involved, I think at one time. We we had pressed like twenty albums a month, like during our busy seasons, and I mean that's a lot of artwork to do. Like, but some of them we did the full design, some of them we just had to get ready, you know, and make sure the bleed and all the technical stuff, make sure the barcodes, you know, are on it, the record numbers, you know, make that whole process took a whole lot of time, and you know, there, and plus you didn't want to mess it up because if you mess something up. If it went to the you know printers, then that comes back wrong, and you have to repress. So you know that costs money and you know delays people's street dates. So you know some of the albums that we did, you know I just you know don't even remember a whole lot about them because it just happened that quick. You know, like you just kind of do a rough draft. They like it, you do that, move to the next thing. So sometimes there's not as much thought to it as you know you think there might be. You know, because yes. certain things get, you know, real artsy, and some of them you just kind of like just do and, you know, just to kind of get it through the door because they have a limited time li- limit. Because most things people would already have like a street date they wanted. So we had to kind of hurry up and get the artwork and pressing because, you know, they wanted to be in stores by Christmas or something, you know. Yeah, you, you Always also was, uh yeah yeah that was a, a good one because that was one like i mentioned before like he brought polaroids in and you know polaroids aren't the best to scan and we we basically you know he wanted like those four scenes like action shots and that's kind of how it turned out you know was just him coming up with that idea and then like just kind of me making up the rest and that was one of my first album covers so you know a lot of that is just kind of making it work and you know making the artist happy was always a big thing I do remember something funny was like one of the Polaroids the uh, the picture that has a cop with Tommy right on the ground I think that was more like a mall security guy 
and he had funny shoes or he had shoes that were blue. And I remember like we had to Photoshop them to try to make them look where they weren't like buddy, <laughs> which is kind of funny looking back. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, uh-oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh no! I think the only th- other thing I remember was that uh, the, the Tommy Wright logo for Street Smart. You know, we used yeah, the, yeah. that Polaroid picture and made a silhouette to make this first Street Smart logo. And then later on, you know, we came up with the middle finger that I think someone drew that we, you know, ended up cutting out and turning into his official logo that he used for years. Yeah. And also thinking about the 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 prophet of the Thailand logo of Christic mystic stars, uh, it was your your father uh, designing it, or or some someone else. So it's, it's very a mystery who designed it. This prophet logo. I probably knew maybe yeah I probably knew it one time. I know he didn't draw it. I think it was somebody with DJ Paul and Juicy that drew it because. It was already done like early in the nineties, and like I said, I didn't start to ninety six so they had already started doing a version of that, and I don't know if Pen and Pixel had a little something to do with perfecting it. I know they came up with the uh, you know the other logos later, but the profit posse was most most logos that we did, especially back in the day, were like that they were hand drawn by somebody. And then we just digitally yeah. fixed them up. Yep. Prophet was before Pen and Pixel because they, they go on Pen and Pixel in, in 97. 95 is the library rough, but Mystic Stars was before. So uh, we don't know who. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, but I think the original one was done, like drawn by one of their, one of the, okay. either them or one of their, one of their artists. Early on in three six, it probably even dates back to their uh, underground, you know, mixtapes before they actually, you know, released Mystic Styles. You know, they, or it was around the time of Mystic Styles. Like I said, that that part I'm a little unsure of, but I do know that like I think Pen and Pixel had a version of uh, one of the albums and they misspelled it, or somehow it was called like Profit instead of Profit. And I don't think it was a logo. It may have been the logo, but it was actually on the art because I remember when I first started, I was working on one of the album covers that Pen and Pixel did, and we had to fix it because it said Profit instead of Profit. So, yeah, between Pen and Pixel and 3-6, like I said, that's usually, I think, where the Profit came from, the original one. A lot of history. You probably have to ask. A lot of history. (laughs) Yeah, we could talk to you for hours because, uh, you know, coming up, I wouldn't have, have probably been at Murder Dog or um, even doing what I was doing if it wasn't for me buying a lot of those albums and you did a lot of those covers. So I really appreciate you, Blake, um, for your contributions to the game. You know what I'm saying? And it was an honor to be able to have you on to talk about some of them. Uh, but before we get out of here, I want to give you the floor. If you've got any shout-outs or any anything you want to tell the people, uh, man, it's all yours, brother. 
Yeah, I mean, like I said, this whole, I guess, looking back on it, this trip has been, you know, definitely blessed to be able to, you know, been a part of big, big part of Memphis music and, you know, all the artists that came out. And like I said, it's an honor that y'all wanted to talk to me and kind of go down the, the past and, you know, get some uh, insight on it. But like I said, it was great working with Phil's family through years and like all the Memphis artists and, you know, met some awesome people. And like I said, just, I still do things here and there, but it's, you know, definitely don't do as much as I used to since I'm technically out of the game, but, you know, occasionally I'll do something for MC Mac or Al Capone or, you know, Tommy Wright calls me occasionally. So it's like, I'm still, still here, but just not as, <laughs> not as prevalent. In recent yeah, years. yeah. Well, some of the real ones keep calling you, man, because they, they remember uh, all the good work you did for them over the years. So you built some pretty uh, long lasting uh, relationships and, uh, that's always a blessing, you know, to be a part of the game to be able to have people that you can actually call your friends and, you know. Um, but thanks again, uh, Blake. Really appreciate you. We're going to get out of here. This one, uh, uh, Deadly Verses by Gangster Pat. Um, it was on the Dro. You did that one. Of course, he had an album called uh, Deadly Verses, but uh, he put that track on a few projects, you know. Being that right. so uh, heated, um, we're gonna get out of here, man. Shout out to you, Blake Franklin. Um, you know everybody at Selecto Street Level Graphics. Shout out to the homie Sin in France uh, for all the dope questions tonight. We're gonna get out of here. Thank you. The villain is chilling, I'm feeling up for you niggas for fighting up back in the life and I'm leaving you dead on the top. I felt I had no to wait through this and killing them niggas for nothing. See, I don't know how in the fuck I got in it, I really don't know. But it's a funny thing, but I ain't okay. I didn't sit so high, but I'm like ripping my clock and I swear to everyone I saw. Fall, bustin' up out of the club through the window with my bloody glock in it. Niggas that fuck 
man, I'm the man, and I'm dropping these deadly ass verses. Deadly ass verses, we dropping this shit like bombs. These niggas be talking that shit and they wanna run up, but they know they can't get none. Deadly ass verses, we know that we jumping and left up. My nigga, let's lift the script and rock this funky shit together. Can't nobody fuck with us. Niggas, they know they can't get none. But where if they think that they can't? Why don't they run up and try to come get some? Deadly ass verses, we dropping these lyrics for all of you hoes. Cause I'm on top of my Glock and don't stop, I just pop and wreck shop and I drop me a deadly verse. 